Recently, the Chronicle of Higher Education held a virtual panel discussion called, get ready for this, The Talent Crisis in Higher Education. One of the panelists was Jamie Hunt, host of the Enrollify podcast network's Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. Well, she joined me to talk about higher education employees' frustrations with lack of advancement opportunities and also how she did a little something to help turn one group of employees at a university into brand champions. That's right now on I Want to Work There. No matter the institution, company, or organization, everyone wants to find the best talent and everyone wants to keep their best talent. Higher education is no different. I'm Eddie Francis. I've worked in both talent acquisition and higher ed marketing. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ways to create a great experience for faculty and staff on your campus. Because in education, a great employee experience equals a great student experience. And who doesn't want that? We'll have some honest conversation, get insights from experts, and hear success stories from campuses. It's all about developing an attractive employer brand, something that'll make the people say, I want to work there. Thank you for joining us on I Want to Work There. And for this episode, our guest is Jamie Hunt. She is the Vice President of University Communications and the Chief Marketing Officer at Old Dominion University. And of course, of course, she is the host of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. And um, Jamie, I, I have to say that this is an honor and you are all of that in a bag of chips. You have one of the best podcasts around, especially in higher ed marketing. So it's it's real, and I'm not I'm not saying it's just to gas you up. It is actually <laughs> it is actually my honor to interview you. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so pleased to talk with you, Eddie. You're one of my favorite higher ed marketers, and I am so happy to be here. And I'm really excited about your show. Thank you so much. And, and you know, it's really cool that you and I can connect on this particular topic because after hearing you as a panelist for the Chronicle of Higher Education's um, talent crisis <laughs> panel discussion, <laughs> I was sitting there listening to you and I'm thinking, okay, Jamie and I are very much on the same page about a, a great many things. Um, you You actually almost said things the way I would say them in a way. And oh. so, yeah. And so I, I, you know, it's, it just, it just makes sense for you to, to be on this podcast. And so let's start with something that you brought up uh, during that panel discussion. You mentioned that there was an employee survey done uh, at Miami university where you used to work. First of all, I was really pleased to hear that they did an employee survey, that they gathered some data on the, on the employee experience. Why did the university find it necessary to do that survey? Yeah, so actually, it was our department that decided to do the survey. Okay. Um, we were experiencing um, some issues with morale, and we had been through a time of great transition. The person before me had been in her role for maybe like 15 months. They had had over the five years preceding my time there, I think they'd had like five different bosses. Then you had the COVID situation and you had just all this transition. And so I really, really wanted to do a survey to try to get a better sense of 
What are some of the issues causing these morale problems so that we could try to tackle them? And it was important to me that if you're going to do a survey, you have to be committed to doing actions that will help address the challenges that come in the survey because otherwise you're just wasting everybody's time and then people get even more disgruntled with the process. It warms my heart that it came from marketing. It just warms my heart. It does. <laughs> and so that leads to the question, what was the reaction that you got from folks, particularly the administration? What was the reaction you got from them when, first of all, you told them you were going to do it and then you gathered the data? Yeah, I think that the reaction was, yeah, that's a good idea. That's something maybe other departments should be doing. And I don't know if anybody else did. I think I shared um, the survey questions that I provided with other leaders across the university. But, you know, I think the reaction to the results of the survey was a, were a little bit surprising to people. We really found that people were not especially happy in their roles. And I think people thought, well, why not? Isn't marketing fun? Isn't the work that you do right. fun and creative? And there were some really big underlying issues that I think could be spread across the organization and are issues that I don't think were isolated to the marketing office. Hmm. And, and so what did you do with the data? How did you, how did you act on it? Yeah, so one of the data points that we found was that people were really frustrated with the lack of advancement opportunities. We had a lot of people who had been in their roles for anywhere from eight to 35 years who had never seen a promotion, or maybe they saw one promotion in that time. They saw their supervisor was um, either somebody who'd been brought in um, where they might have felt that they were qualified for that job or um, somebody who was going to stay in their job forever and there was not room for advancement and growth. And so that was one of the biggest things that, that jumped out to us is how can we fix this? Mm -hmm. um, and so what we did was we built a career pathways program where we identified really clear ways that a person could progress with their title and with their responsibilities without necessarily somebody else having to leave their job. So usually it's like, hey, I'm an assistant director of marketing. I have to wait for the director of marketing to leave before I can get a title change. Well, no, if you're an assistant director, you could become a senior assistant director, then an associate director and a, a senior associate director without having to have the person above you leave. And so we developed these pathways both along a um, managerial line and a non-managerial line. And then we started promoting people. And I think during my time there, I think we promoted somewhere between eight and 12 people. Wow. Um, and, and just were, had a plan to work through basically everyone over the next couple of years. It's really interesting, you know, in episode two, we had, <laughs> we had the great Kevin McClure. And, oh my gosh, um, I love Kevin. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that he mentioned that just seems to be such a truism, unfortunately, with higher education, um, is that there's this attitude, or at least there used to be this attitude, that is probably changing you know, by force majeure right now. But um, there's, there's traditionally been this attitude of, hey, if you're unhappy, you know, hit the bricks and we'll just find somebody yep. else. Uh, find somebody else. I wonder how many people would listen to what you did and say to themselves, I didn't even know that could happen at a college or a university. It seems like the accepted truism is 
you get into a college university and unless you're on a tenure track as a as a professor or unless you want to be the president one day <laughs> there really is no advancement that's so true and i think about um pretty much every time i've left a job it has been that is the only way that i can get uh, advancement in my career. And I remember I was at the first university I worked for, um, I had asked for a raise because somebody had left and I absorbed about half of her job. And I asked for like a $5,000 raise. And they said, we can't give you a raise because there's so many other people who are in the same boat as you and we haven't yeah. given them raises. And that was like my first, I was like 29 years old. And I remember thinking like, so you have to leave to get a raise? So I did. Honestly, that was mm -hmm. part of what pushed me to start applying for other jobs because I realized I'm not going to, I just took on so much more responsibility. I'm not going to get a title change or a pay increase. Why would I stay? That happened to me too. I mean, I was in one position and I was told that I literally could not get an increase in pay. That it was, and I said, okay, to be to be clear, you're telling me this is impossible. And they said, well, yeah, we don't think it can happen. I said, great. And so I found another job that paid way more. And they said, OK. And when I gave my when I handed in my resignation, they said, well, why are you leaving? I said, oh, well, I'm getting higher pay at another place. And believe it or not, this was the response. Well, is there a way we can counter the offer? And I said, well, no, you said it was impossible. <laughs> yeah, right? I asked you, is it impossible? And you said, yes. So I am leaving on this date and I will see you later, deuces. I mean, it's just, <laughs> right? I just you know, it, and I had come from the private sector, so I just didn't understand the inertia. You know, I was just, I was like, yes. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I was at another institution. I wanted to give one of my staff a raise. Mm -hmm. And my yep. boss told me, what I need you to do is have her get a counter offer, and then we can give her a raise. And I was like, I don't want her interviewing. Right. I want somebody else to know she's amazing and hire her away. I, I don't want her to fall in love with a different place and just leave. That's an absolutely ridiculous thing for me to do. So here's the thing that really kills me, and I think this is something that prevents a lot of colleges and universities from being employers of choice, um, at least for high quality talent a lot of times, mm -hmm. um, is that people see this irony where a college or a university is a producer of knowledge. And so you would think that an institution of higher learning, when you get in there as an employee, you would think that that place is creative and it can figure out anything and growth mindset, growth mindset, growth mindset. Like you would think that is what's happening. And then you get in and somebody says, ha ha ha, if you get a raise, that's really going to be interesting. <laughs> right, right. We don't have a mechanism for giving people raises. Like what? How is that possible? <laughs> I, one, I, I, I did take working with HR to make this possible, right? Yeah. Like we didn't, we couldn't just say, well, now we're going to do this and just magically start to give people title changes and pay increases. But, um, you know, that was on me as the vice president to do that work of making the case to the CFO, making the case to the AVP of HR, to really put a structure um, in front of them that showed them that we put research into this. And so 
you know, I think as VPs, it's so easy to just like kind of throw up our hands and be like, that's how it is. But we have to be unsatisfied with that. Mm-hmm. And those first title changes and pay increases took from about August to about February to get processed all the way through. And then they got retroactive pay for that. But then once we did that first batch of maybe six, all the ones after that took about a month to work Mm -hmm. through the system, which, you know, sure, in the private sector, maybe I could say you have a different pay tomorrow and you have it starting tomorrow. But for higher ed, that's not too shabby. All righty. We're going to play a game, guys. Okay. So first and foremost, get a pen, get a paper, pull out your notes app on your phone, whatever it might be. Okay. Got it. Great. All right. What keywords does your website currently rank for? Take a couple seconds, right? One, two, three, four. I give you a few, not just a couple. What doesn't it rank for that you think it should rank for? Okay. One, two, three, four. Now, what are a few keyword opportunities that you could be winning on if you just simply tweaked some of your existing website copy? Got it? Okay. How'd you do? Ooh, not so hot. Not sure what you can, what you're currently ranking for, or not sure what you could be ranking for. Well, that's okay because our friends at DD Agency want to help you answer all of these questions. DD Agency is a higher ed specific marketing technology agency that has conducted countless SEO audits for colleges and universities across the country. In these audits, they detail where you currently rank, what you could be ranking for, exactly how copy should be tweaked on website pages, and so much more. If this sounds like something that you could benefit from, give the guys at DD Agency a ping and be sure to mention that Enrollify sent you to claim a 10% discount on any of their SEO offerings. So head on over to enrollify.org forward slash DDA SEO, that's DDA as in DD Agency SEO, or simply follow the link in the show notes below. That will guarantee you get a 10% discount off of your audit. All right, head on over to enrollify.org slash D-D-A-S-E-O or simply Google DD Agency, find DD Agency's website, and be sure to mention that you heard about them through Enrollify when you request your audit. All right, folks, back to the show. One of the things that you mentioned during the panel discussion with the Chronicle of Higher Education is you saw a need to really dig into job descriptions. Um, and to figure out how those job descriptions could be modified. Why is that? So I think that one of the biggest barriers to recruiting a diverse talent pool is that we create a situation where people can self-select out of applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. So when you have these long lists of minimum qualifications (laughs) that there's nobody that's going to check every box, (laughs) We know, studies have shown that women and people of color and immigrants are less likely to apply for jobs if they don't check every box. So we're just basically putting out in the world, if if you're of some sort of underrepresented group, whether you're woman, person of color, immigrant, or all three, you're not gonna feel comfortable applying for this job, even though you're completely qualified but you have this imposter phenomenon that tells you that if I don't have every single thing in spades, every T, every I, I'm not gonna apply. And then you miss out on some really talented people when you do that. And so simplifying those minimum requirements, I think just makes all the sense in the world and is low hanging fruit for recruiting a more diverse talent pool. 
Yeah, I started chuckling when you were talking about the minimum qualifications because the one that kills me is must lift, must be able to lift 30 pounds. And, right. and I'm like, right. is, it, it, I mean, I was like, is this a deadlift? Con- what is this? Is, are we, are we going to be weightlifting? What's happening? What, what are we going to be doing? I mean, I understand why, but it's just ridiculous to me, honestly, yes. to sell, to tell somebody you have to be able to lift 30 pounds to do the job. Yeah, it's just I. <laughs> well, and even the things like standing and walking. So are you telling yeah. me that someone in a wheelchair couldn't write a press release like that? Exactly. Or somebody with some sort of mobility impairment can't answer the phones or honestly, the job that I have as as VP and CMO, would I have to be able to walk to do my job? I don't know that I would. But yeah. if you're saying, yeah, you have to be able to walk, you have to be able to stand, you have to be able to do these things. But do you really? Yeah. Like the technology is there that even typing isn't necessarily essential if you have a quiet office and voice recognition software. Yeah. It was really interesting to me how in some of the practices at a couple of the universities I've been at, everything just seemed to be on autopilot. And as soon as you went in, I went into a few job descriptions and I said, I, <laughs> this, kind of, this is kind of ridiculous. I'm going to change this job description. And, you know, folks say, well, are you sure you want to do that? I said, listen, I'm basing this job description on what I need. Okay. And I do think there is a lot of merit to, I've seen some job descriptions that are like two pages long and you're just sitting there going, is this person really going to have to do all of this? And and are you telling me that there is no professional development that can happen that if you want this person, you know, to get this person better at this job? Because... I, I mean, you're right. Uh, as somebody who's a former recruiter, yes, those studies are definitely out there that are saying that if the job is, especially if the job description is written too long, yes. there are a lot of people who are going to check out by the time they get to the 20th bullet point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the the second university job that I had, I almost didn't apply for because I was like, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things in here I've never done before. And I, you know, are they going to be looking for somebody that can do these things? And now in retrospect, it's like for what they were paying, they were lucky they had anybody that could do any of the job Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's, it's really – so, you know, I, I want higher ed to pay attention to some of the blowback that comes back from applicants, um, especially yeah. the ones who said – especially the ones who say, I just got a master's degree. Surely you must be able to do better than this and pay. Um, especially if you're asking me to do all of these things. Um, and I, and I just think that the, the lack of realism, um, when it comes to really taking a look at it and you can't hold people hostage over a mission either. You know, you can't say, well, you know what the mission is, right? This is higher. This is just how it works. And if you really believe in it, you're going to do every single one of these things. And it's, you know, I, 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 I don't know about that. It's a little bit abusive to be using the mission, like the mission doesn't pay the bills. And we should want our employees and our staff and our faculty to be able to have lives, right? Mm -hmm. We should be paying living wages. We should be paying wages that reflect the importance of the work that we're doing and the challenges of the work that they're doing. And I understand the budgetary pressures, but then maybe we have to do a little bit less rather than say, We need everybody working 60, 70 hours a week in order to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished. 
you're just putting the burden of those budgetary challenges on the backs of people's families who don't get to spend time with their kids or don't get to yeah. spend go on vacations or whatever have to have a second job because you can't afford it on the salary you make that's just not fair yeah you know and that that brings me to something about you that i i really admire um and that is the fact that as as a as a vp um you understand full well that you need execution when it comes to the work uh, yeah. But at the same time, you seem to be very compassionate and you seem to be really empathetic towards your team. Um, when it comes to that level of compassion, when it comes to that level of empathy, how ha how have you seen that affect your team members? Yeah, I think that being empathetic is absolutely critical, I think, for mm -hmm. a leader. Um, and it's critical in so many ways, but... I do think that people will be more productive if they believe, really believe that the person that's leading them genuinely cares about them as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think about the times when I've had really great empathetic bosses. I'm thinking about Elwood Robinson in particular at mm -hmm. Winston-Salem State. Yeah, Winston-Salem State, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's retiring now, but um, you know, I was talking with someone today about when my dad was dying, about how it was just, you need to do what you need to do, and we're going to give you all the flexibility, and we're going to check in on you and make sure you're doing okay, and we're going to fill in any gaps that you need. Will you help take care of him? And that made me, I was telling a team member this morning, that made me be s such a better employee yeah. in terms of, I felt like they cared about me, so I was meticulous about the work that I did do during that time, and I was super communicative about how the situation was going and what I thought was when I thought I'd be back and all of that. But if I felt like they didn't care about me, it would have been like they're just doing their legal obligation to mm -hmm. let me use FMLA to go take care of my dad. And that level of compassion and empathy is just it's just such an important thing for leaders to have. But if you need to be convinced, right? If you need to be convinced to be a good person, cool. There's business mm -hmm. case for being a good person too. Mm -hmm. So if it's not enough for you to feel like the purpose of life is to t help each other, right? Mm -hmm. If that's not your core belief, that's fine. That's cool. But there is a business case for being an empathetic leader. And that is, People who work for leaders with empathy are much more productive. They'll stay longer. They'll work harder. They'll understand when there's challenges. They'll put in the extra work when it happens because they know you care about them. You know, I'm going to I'm going to bring back something that you said. And, and I almost gave this a stand and ovation uh, during the panel discussion uh, when you said leadership is about people. Um, and and I mean, it, it amazes me that that's something that people apparently a lot of leaders and I think a lot of leaders in higher education still need to understand, because the other thing is, is that if you were in higher education, you were in the people business like yes. it, there's there are no ifs, ands or buts about this. There's no re there's not enough research in the world that can get you away from people in higher education because your research is about people half the time anyway. So um, I, I, I think I think the recognition that higher ed in particular is a people business and the leaders have to be people people that's critical for colleges and universities to become employers of choice. 
Absolutely. Well, and I think we are selling a product that is an education that's delivered by people. And who are we delivering that education to? People. Who are the people that are, are, who is doing the services that um, students get? It's people. Everything is people. If you look at our budgets, you know, 80 plus percent of our budget is people. Mm -hmm. We are people businesses. We are a business, yes, but we're a business run by people. And we need to all be in it together. And you can't feel like you're all in it together if you don't feel like the leadership genuinely cares about you. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like we're all in this together? It was a situation of trust, too. I mean, a a leader really Mm -hmm. can't do what they need to do, and they can't really enact the vision that they have for an institution if people don't trust them. And if people don't trust you, then then goodbye vision is not going to happen. As a matter of fact, you're going to have a bunch of saboteurs on your hand, actually. (laughs) So and and that I have seen. (laughs) So um, absolutely. So one thing I would really love to hear from you is um, how can colleges and universities, in your view, because one of the things I really, really want leaders and, and I want I want our fellow marketers to get out of this podcast is I really want them to get something that's going to push them in a direction of solutions for the institution. So what is one resourceful thing that you believe that just about any college or university can do um, so that they can turn their employees into effective brand champions? I mean, People can see people can be brand champions and wear the gear, but I think an effective brand champion is someone who goes around and says, "I love working at this place. You should attend. I love working at this place. You should donate. I'm going to leave this place, and I really wish I could stay forever, but I love it all the same." So, in your view, what's a, what's what's a resourceful thing that you think any college or university can do? Yeah. When I was at Winston-Salem State, we launched a brand ambassador program, and we started with the employees, actually. What we did was identify those employees that seemed really passionate about the institution. We made them feel really special, right? You were getting this invitation that was given to you, Eddie, because of who you are as a person to participate in this program where you're going to get some training on you know, how to be a brand champion. But it's not just, hey, Eddie, you're a brand champion now. It was a personal invitation from the chancellor to come to an event where we ask you, Eddie, you seem like someone who loves the university. You do such great work. You're you're a leader around campus, whether you're in a leadership role or you're a leader because of your innate personality. Eddie, we want to ask you, are you willing to be a brand champion for the university? And this is what it would entail and this is the training that you'd have and eddie we would love to have you on board with this what do you think and it wasn't like this where um hey we're just inviting a bunch of people that we like you can come here and you can (laughs) we are expecting you to start wearing gear and using these talking points right it was all about valuing them Mm -hmm. and talking about what they were bringing to the table that could help us get the word out about the university. And the number of people who said they were like, well, I had to come. I had a personal invitation from the chancellor. Like (laughs) it was, you know, it it was in the mail and it was signed by him and it was a whole thing. And they were like, this 
they the people were strutting around they had their little brand champion buttons i would see them <laughs> at events you know you know weeks later and they'd be like oh, i'm wearing my button and i can't wait to go do this and that um and it was all about making people feel seen as the people as individuals make people feel seen as individuals and i'm not necessarily saying like hey everybody needs to have this really formal program to do that but just generally speaking seeing people like individuals i think would would launch a brand ambassador program organically they're going to be excited because they feel valued people just want to feel valued at the end of the day so i have to tell you something about that the thing is so funny so my wife is from winston-salem and so the funniest thing is one day we were oh, we were looking at something and and somehow Winston Salem State came across you know whatever we were looking at the feed or whatever. Uh, she graduated from Hampton. She didn't want to stay at home to go to school, so she went to Hampton. And then Nobody's she goes, "Perfect." Or, <laughs> and she's, okay, I won't get into that one. But <laughs> but she said, "I wonder what's going on Winston Salem State." And I said, "What do you mean?" She said. They are like, she said, they're different. Like the university is just different. And she said this roughly about five to six years ago, actually. And so she was trying to figure out what was so different about Winston-Salem State because she just said that the atmosphere seemed different. She said people seem much prouder of Winston-Salem State. And so we may have our answer here. You, you know, you, you may be the culprit of that and I'll let her know that you're to blame. That makes me so happy to hear, honestly, of all the work I've done in my career, the work I did at Winston-Salem State is the work I'm most proud of. And it was all on a shoestring, and it was, but it was all by people who just, like, we all rolled up our sleeves and said, how can we make people realize what a gem this place is? And um, super proud of the work that we did and measurable outcomes. We saw, um, this isn't, you know, why we're here, but we saw um, in 2014, 40 43% of students said WSSU is their first choice. And in 2018, after we started doing all of these campaigns, it went up to 62%, which was a huge increase. But it was all about activating brand champions because we had, my budget was like $200,000. You yeah. know, that's not going to go very far. You need to activate ambassadors mm -hmm. to really amplify the story. Mm. Well, actually, that, that data point that you just gave, that is the reason we're here. And that is exactly why you are Jamie Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm really, it makes me so happy to hear that she saw a difference yeah, in the yeah. institution. She absolutely did. So um, so bravo to you. And Dr. Robinson. I mean, I, I know yes. I, I've admired him from I've admired him from afar. So I, I know the work that he has done has been excellent. And so so listen, if anybody I mean, of course, people can catch you on Confessions of a Higher CMO. But if anyone did just want to reach out to you, how can they do it? Yeah. So I am really active on LinkedIn, Jamie Hunt. Um, J-A-I-M-E, and I'm on Twitter at Jamie Hunt IMC, J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C, or you can reach out to me here at ODU at J1Hunt at ODU.edu, and I don't know why it's J1Hunt, but I accept it because it makes me feel like Jamie's number one, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm happy to chat with people. I, I talk with people all the time about this stuff. Um, I'm happy to let people pick my brain. 
Absolutely. Well, Jamie is the VP of University Communications and the CMO at Old Dominion University. And as we mentioned several times, the host of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO right here on the Enroll Five Podcast Network. So, Jamie, thank you so much. Appreciate you joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure, Eddie. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, check out other Enrollify shows. The Enrollify Podcast Network is growing by the month with all kinds of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows. And they're jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. There are some great industry voices that you can check out, like Terry Flannery, my good friend Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Corinne Myers, Dustin Ramsdale, Jamie Gleason, and many more. Learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. So uh, come and find yours. <laughs>